Yeah, as I was saying, I think it would be really nice to just depart from the show and start talking a bit about the show and uh, and on the works in the show. Um, and I was actually very um, moved by the relation that there is between the camera and the Criollo horse mm -hmm. in Criollo, no? how the camera frames the horse, seems to be searching for its gaze, tries to meet the horse's gaze. No? Um, and at the same time, when it meets the horse's gaze, the horse is not looking at us, it's looking at the camera, because there's no projection. It's not like a human that you look at the camera and you know you're looking at the people. The horse is just looking at the object. So we become a sort of object that the horse is looking at. And I was, um, I just wanted to know more about how you thought the relation between the camera and the horse, how you, how you created this relationship and what was your intention in filming and framing the horse in this very specific way that you do? That's a good question. Um, really, from the outset, I had the image of this horse in Sixth Avenue, Central Park at Artist Gate, was, I had it in my head as a kind of cinematic image and it was just an encounter with the horse and the sense that the horse is an apparition. I mean, it's all, of course, then that the horse is returning our gaze in this sense. So the framing was really on, so it's not a kind of 16-9 framing, it's a 235-1 to framing, so it's it's got that kind of cinematic sweep of the scale of the city and the kind of sense of the epic quality of the journey that's undertaken to arrive at that point. And I wanted to really um, just try to get this sense of captivating, uh, uh, a captivating image of the horse in this sense and how we move around it. So the, it had to be a steady cam shot in a continuous movement. So the sense of the that the camera is also the horse is breathing and the camera has some sort of breathing apparatus. It's a, um, in this sense of the, the the camera and the director and the cinematographer, it's a collaboration with the instrument of the machine also. So there's a sort of um, yeah, collaboration with the apparatus of looking. So the in that sense, the, and the framing was really to try and you know, rotate around the animal and bring the context into focus. So the, so the animal is foregrounded immediately in this kind of dream sweep, and then the context comes into view. So you can, because the animal is not just the animal, the animal is the animal and its environment. It's, and then the environment is then distinctly kind of uh, a dislocation between the animal and its environment in that context. But to try and bring in the, the, the eye of the horse and the, a way that if you put a camera in a horse's face, it will move away, it will shy away. So this was um, a horse which had become used over the, the period of time that we've been filming with it to the camera. So you learn these kind of things. And also, it was very important that John Enstrom, John Enstrom, the cinematographer that we worked with, um, grew up around horses, grew up on a farm. So he knew animals intimately and had worked in film before. So it was, um, as had uh, uh, part of the team in Buenos Aires. So the, um, the framing was really um, on the one hand, that it was cinemascope um, framing, and it was also Steadicam as a kind of method of approach, how you approach the animal, so that you can float into it, and that we kind of wait with the animal some time. So there is a kind of time image at the beginning, 
and then the animal moves, so there's a movement image at the end. So you move through this kind of also these kind of structural relationship to the, the structure of our encounter with the cinema. With cinemas. So, and this also then goes into the auditorium, the raked auditorium of the straw bales that we were sitting in. So we're in a kind of cinema, which is a, but they're also sitting on straw, which animals sit on. So we are animalized in the process of the uh, installation of the film. So, and but also I wanted to try and, uh, was something like the image that was captivating me that I had in my head for like, so it took three years to get to that point. I wanted the image to be captivating in a, in a sense that you don't have to know all the story, the context, the theory that Trump Park is over his left shoulder and, you know, um, so that there's a kind of geo or biopolitical context and so on, and all the equestrian statues of the artist gate, you could simply look and be looked at or looked upon in a slightly different way. Um, and I just couldn't take my eyes off the horse. And I couldn't take my eyes off him. And so I was trying, this was what I was trying to, I'm not sure if that's accurately replying mm -hmm. to the question, but. Um, it is, and it's also, it's not only that people share the space that the animal lives and consumes by being seated in the hay, it's also that I kept seeing people around with bits and pieces of the hay. So yeah, there's a straw, wake. A straw. straw. Animals eat hay. They sit on straw. And so yeah. it's it's a, a wake that remains. You know, yeah. it's like they're they're haunted by images of of the film, but they're physically also transporting the film around yeah, around the city as well. The gallery and maybe yeah. the city that is contaminating other species. Um, and still uh, remaining on uh, or starting with uh, technical questions, there's something that kept me wondering, which is uh, the sound. Yeah? Uh, because for me, it almost seemed, or it, uh, it invited me to think that that could be how a horse would perceive an urban sound. So how would Ahi uh, be perceiving the sound of the city mm -hmm. around him? would be by this kind of distorted um, um, perception of rumour. But um, I wanted to know what, how you work with the sound and what is the sound that you hear mm -hmm. in the mm -hmm. yeah, sound is absolutely important. The, to me, that the sound is the kind of the noise music of the, of the animal and the environment. It's, uh, it's the sound of ahi, you mentioned ahi, ahi veremis rezero is the Argentine criollo, the name of the horse. Um, and ahi is the sound of his breath and his hooves as he moves and the rumble of the traffic in the background. So it's the, it is the audio of the, of the take, but then slowed down uh, like 800 times. So it becomes like this, um, like a pulse beat, sort of thing. So it's, and then it, so it has its own, introduces its own noise frequencies, but then they kind of layered in this sense so that you have this idea of a kind of atmospheric kind of counter, but you can also then link it back because when he moves or breath or when the truck rolls by, you hear it's actually related to the movement around. So, and this was, um, you know, a, a trying to find, because at the initial stages of the idea, I had tried to introduce some sort of, um, uh, like the, because I work, as you know from previous works, I'm interested in the film and the score, and the score as the work of the film and so on. So I also have, wanted to have some musical uh, uh, dimension to the film. So I had tried to make a little score for cello or something to have a motif that would be his music. But that idea fell by the wayside and I still wanted, to, in the editing, to have the sound, which would be sort of 
and noise music in some ways and this is how it kind of manifested that's how I found it and a lot of it there's a practical dimension also to it because you know um, you're also in that situation Peter is also speaking to Ahi in the, during the filming so um, that, I, that I couldn't use all of the audio as a kind of linked audio sort of thing uh, it had to be go through post-production so you you don't hear Peter's voice in that mix at all it's just that if it was in real time we're talking we're, we're communicating back and forth sort of thing so um, and, but also the important then there's also and we're also swearing at each other it's five in the morning and <laughs> so all these you know you'll get it out but uh, there's but also that important thing the, the sound because at the, when you sweep around and follow Ahi and, the, and you linger with Ahi, you can see his ears moving, following, tracking the sound, locating kind of himself sort of thing. So um, listening was also kind of a, a really important part of the kind of the bodily presence of the, of the horse, as well as the looking, the following the gaze and his looks to the you know, to the to the right. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, something that becomes very clear when you look at the video is the fact that there's no space for this animal in the city. The animal is uh, is out of place. <laughs> um, it's an alien. Mm. For me, it felt like an alien. Um, or an apparition, as the word yes, is, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 therefore, it also becomes a reflection on how, on the post-industrial city, or what the post-industrial city became, and what it became by what it excluded, no? and what forms of control and what was not controllable couldn't couldn't occupy the space. No? Um, and I was wondering if. If you were thinking about this also, um, well, filming filming the horse in this environment and bringing the horse to exactly to this place and 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 thinking about what it became now, despite the fact that we have many horses around cities, there's sculptures, and suddenly when you have a a real animal, the the speed and the the movement and the, the materials of the city are just not. They're two worlds that they suddenly become very clear that they don't. For sure, for sure, uh, absolutely. Um, there's kind of three layers, I suppose, of answers to to that because there's another another aspect to the film is the journey from Buenos Aires to Washington and then to New York, um, and each had their own different regulations and so on in relationship to the appearance of an animal in public space to the degree to which we can call these spaces public space. Um, but uh, so the, the uh, Ahi first of all travelled to Plaza San Martín in Buenos Aires where the first statue is, the copy of the statues, which are in the, the, they're the kind of the markers of movement. Um, and we found out in the process of making the film permit um, to have cameras present in the space that it's illegal to have a horse in, in public space in Buenos Aires since 1947 or something like this. So, um, so you have only have like equestrian statues or you have the horses in polo designated polo grounds or whatever, but not in public space. Um, so in this is also, kind of, I suppose, an element of like, the horses that, that built these cities that coexisted and cohabited and were co-present with humans um, to work the mines to work and pull carts and so on and humans are pulling the carts now in Buenos Aires so you um, but they have moved from being our companions in everyday life to being disappeared, they disappeared to being excluded and sort of vanished and the ghostly or the presence as you say and in Washington DC you're you're only allowed even though like where we were wanting to film for the monuments are, are officially national parks grounds and so on 
you have the federal and the state regulations and you're only really allowed to drove animals at certain points through national ground or national land or to be on designated bridal paths, but not anywhere else. And again, so you only have the sort of echo of the animal in the statue sort of thing. Um, and in, in New York, the, the artist gate at Central Park is, was chosen for that because I was, the whole thing really kind of started because I was going make a, made this film on Cosi Marti in 2010 with David Harding. And I found out that there was a statue to Jose Martí in Central Park, so I went to visit it, and he's getting shot from his horse. Um, and I noticed that there was uh, Jose Martí and then Simon Bolivar, the uh, kind of Bolivarian revolution sort of thing, uh, was very present with the, um, you know, the, the orchestra that had kind of travelled the world. And... Um, so went back to kind of Latin American revolutionaries with Jose Martí, Simon Bolivar, and on the left-hand side there was San Martín. Um, and this is when I... And then I realised that this was called the Artist Gate, so you had Latin American revolutionary leaders, anti-colonialists, fighting for independence, and uh, an Artist Gate is the centrepiece, and it is the centre drive through Central Park. And I've went for dinner in the evening with somebody who had a friend who was a creator and I was mentioning this and nobody had, no, had ever known that there were statues there. What statues? It's the artist gate and they don't know. Nobody seems to know this. Um, so I thought, OK, this is something. And then I started to find this Shifley's Ride story and I thought, OK, this is the, this is the route, this is the film location. And then I found that the statue in... Uh, uh, New York was a copy of a statue in Buenos Aires, but then there was another copy in Washington, which were the three cities that really marked the the, the walk, the uh, the ride uh, of Shifley on Manche Gato. So this sense of the exclusion, but also, in fact, in New York, at Sixth Avenue, at the Artists' Gate, that is the place where you have animals. You have the carriage horses. And it wasn't really, an, it's not a reference to that, it's not really a, one of its contexts, but it was interesting that during the development phase of the film there was an there was a, a attempt by the city to remove the carriage horses from... Uh, I mean, there's a stable in, in, in um, Central Park, um, but we couldn't use it, and it's because it's a police stable, but um, they were trying to remove the carriage horses because they kind of brought the tone down and so on. It's like tourist cliché and... They muddy, they kind of got littered the street with their manure and so on. So that was an unsuccessful campaign. So because when we were doing the test shoots, because we were filming very early in the morning, they're not, they're not there, but when we were doing the test shoots, the carriage horses are, are, are very present. So they're, and they are kind of uh, um, one of the iconic scenes of Central Park. So you could see it as not out of place, but he's not, he's only in a halter. He's not ridden, it's a riderless horse. He's not in any kind of decorative, the carriage horses in New York are very decorative and, you know, their maidens are all dressed and so on. But again, there was a sense of, uh, you know, we were only permitted to be in a certain place for a short length of time and not on the sidewalk and only on the road and so on in these paths. So, so the, there was several layers of restrictions around the presence of the animal, which would have been part of daily life, and it's kind of it's erased. And I think um, uh, this was something which became increasingly an aspect of the the production process because of the, the necessity for get, getting permits. And it seemed also just to really um, sort of uh, bring home the layers of bu the bureaucratic levels of exclusion it also impacted upon the organisation of the Athens Castle Ride because of the regulations and the legislation that really, there's only really broadly speaking, only two layers of uh, uh, legislation or regulations related to the transportation of animals and that's to transport them for two or three days to uh, go to a dressage or a race or something event, so a show event, and then you leave the country again. 
or you're travelling through for a few hours with the horses in the truck for slaughter. You know, but we were moving at the pace of spring through Europe, from the south to the north. So we were one month in one country, two, three weeks in another, and so on. And there's no real... So you have to actually import the horse into each country and export it into the next one. And so this has... We have a mountain of an archive of all the paperwork, which was undertaken by Peter van der Gutten and the veterinary association that, that we collaborated with. So, and so with Ahi, we imported him into the US. So, um, so and it was also the timing of it. We began filming our arrival. We went to New York first and then to Buenos Aires to go to get Ahi. When we arrived in New York, it was the day of Trump's inauguration. So, and then when we, when Ahi was flown into Miami to go to quarantine, it was the first week of the travel ban. So there was this sort of migration of this horse, and it was only a week or so before that um, that the Argentine curator had been stopped at the border. He, he was from Buenos Aires, but he'd lived in New York for 12 years, and he ran a gallery in New York. He'd gone back to Buenos Aires a business and came back to New York, and he couldn't get into his own country of, of uh, residence. So we had these um, other forms of exclusion of the public space and who is seen and who is invisible was present. And we also have to remember that Ahi isn't a... The other horses that you would see present would be draft horses for the police. So you have the state apparatus employing animal, or you have them as show horses of polo ponies, or you have like million dollar race horses and stud horses and stuff. So this is the horses of the elite and the, and the, uh, and the, uh, uh, the, and the uh, state apparatus. Ahi and Hermes, Aravani horse, are peasant horses. So these are mountain horses or pampas horses. They are gaucho horses. They are like like the Mustang for cattle ranching and so on. So these are working horses, low, slung, stocky, hardy. Um, um, and the important thing about the Criollo, at the, why, why Chris Sheffley's ride took place, is the Criollo had no stud book. The Criollo was not recognised as a horse, so it, it was part of the process of getting its stud book was to do the ride to show the prowess and, uh, and stamina of this working horse, because it'd be like a pony, you know, they bring in the designation of a pony, so it's not a horse, it's a pony. And um, and, uh, and Emilio Solonet was the veterinary uh, scientist who was um, trying to establish the Criollo breed, and this is why he donated them to Shifley. And this is why I went back to the Solonet Ranch, El Cardal, and it's so, so Emilio's son, Oscar Solonet, who's in Glasgow at the moment, did me the honour of coming to the opening. He donated the Criollo film uh, for the film because it was important that it came from the same estancia. And the Aravani horse is the same today. It has no stud book. It's not recognised as a horse. So it's like a saint papier these animals are excluded. And so we have this relationship to the, through the migration process, to the migrant, to the worker, but also to the Saint-Papier, and that who is not seen in the city, you know, in the sense of the servicing of the city. It's, we'd much rather you were invisible. So in some ways, you have this kind of parallel with something like the Santiago Sierra, paying workers in a box, but in this kind of ethical foregrounding of the you know, the contradictions of capitalist culture and so on. So there's, uh, there's elements of these things, but the, again, I go back to the fact that you, you kind of, you, you can follow those roots and associations or you can simply, or it can all fall away in this, this moment of shared co-presence, in a sense, with the animal. So, um, but yeah, so those... Um, and also from the theory of the border and the theory of the migrant, Thomas Nail uh, says, like, the border isn't a static thing. The border is a space of exclusion and expulsion. This is how a border works. So the, the line we followed through Europe, the line that I drew in is a kind of sense that we are drawing a new border, in a sense, inhabiting the line or inhabiting the border, um, trying to be include and, you know, rather than... Uh, 
But I think these exclusions are really start to, to be more present as we progressed. Something that, um, and slowly transition to the transit of Hermes, something that I was wondering was exactly um, related to your decision to, well, you have the documentation of the import uh, certificates and documents for Ahi to go to the United States, but you very clearly, you um, don't include any paperwork, any bureaucratic material that is involved in both, uh, and in particular in the transit of Hermes. And I can imagine that crossing, which is not a coincidence, of course, but uh, crossing all the European borders from Greece to, um, to Germany, which is a route that has been... Um, has been used and reused in particular in, in recent years in more quantity with, mm -hmm. with the migrant fluxes um, generated a, a huge amount of, of documentation and of material that also reveals the, the paradoxes and, and, and the cul-de-sac in which you find yourself trying to move from one country to the other and I think the only moment in which you can have a glimpse of this is in the smaller room where you have the photograph of Hermes, who is clearly waiting. He's not walking, he's not being um, taken care of, he's just waiting in a, in, a, in a barrier that is more symbolic than real, but he has this pose, but mm -hmm. it's very delicate. So I was wondering if you could just um, explain, or just tell me your decision to don't include um, everything is underneath, so it, it depends on us to, to mm -hmm. see or don't see that, but there is no clear reference to all the bureaucratic and weight and all mm -hmm. the uh, mm -hmm. frontier crossing processes that yeah. were clearly, they were not only defining the pace of the work, but I think they were at the basis of yes. the work. No? Yes. I mean, maybe one day they will. <coughs> we have them, and they are here in in in, in the storage. But um, I, I didn't want I didn't want really the the show to function at the level of information in that sense, where you um, it becomes uh, um, I suppose doc, a document in a sense, a documentation in that sense. I wanted it to try and have a, a life outside of that a little bit and more ambiguity. But the photograph of, of Hermes on the border, this is a photograph when the, because the route went through Europe, but it went through the EU and then the non-EU. So when the riders were going from Serbia back to, into Croatia, when they were going, returning, trying to return into the EU, this is when they were stopped at the border for six days. And they spent six days at the border. And so this photograph, Really, kind of is registering at that moment. This is when they are. He's it's a it's his own. It's an electrical fence or thing. You know, it's a small shock. It's a, it's what you, how you pen animals for duration, um, overnight and so on. And it's it's normal practice, but this is photographed in front of a closed border. It's all the red crosses on the border. Crossings is closed. So this is. Um, in the background, slightly out of focus, sort of thing. Um, so that, in a way, for me, uh, you know, so it's quite kind of, before you arrive at that room, you've seen this journey of the long ride through, and then here is this moment um, where he is kind of, for me, sort of the converse of Rilke's notion of the, the the animal sees the open and this so this was like and we are our eyes are inward turning and we are seeing the closed world in this sense this was also ever present in Ahi the sense of where is the open you know so um, but what we, what he is the animal sees the open but he's within the closed of realm so this was a kind of element to that uh, for me um, and 
the the documentation we may use in the publication or something or in another context. We just, I think it didn't, it wasn't possible to, to I mean, what I wanted really was to have the work as a series of fragments, an ensemble of fragments in Simon Critchley's phrase, so that, you know, in the room of the Athens Castle Ride, you see still images from sequences or blocks from specific countries of the ride. And then you have some moments where it's saddling and so on. There's no moving image of the ride yeah, as mm. such. So it's only saddling or uh, repairing a horseshoe or brushing and, and so on, taking care and cleaning. Um, the care of the animal uh, being paramount through the whole process. And um, so you have a series of fragments. So and it, this is this photograph of uh, Hermes on the border being the god of border crossings and named after that, the myth of the god of border crossings. This is kind of in his name. So this is um, uh, a sense that, that you again can reflect on the wider condition of the border and and who is stopped and who is who is excluded and who is expelled but this photograph is in dialogue with a further fragment which is the fragment of a bronze hoof of hermes that we made and it's lying down and self-supporting sort of thing but the, when you look at it actually it's a horse in movement so it's but it's also the raised hoof, which is, and it's a fracture in a sense, so that you, it looks as if it's broken from a larger statue, taking it back to the equestrian statues in the first room. So this sense of the movement, but then a the frozen movement, kind of is, is um, kind of how we, how I tried to address that question of the the kind of conditions of the of the of the geo kind of and historical conditions of the route that they were taking rather than have it as matter of fact documentation which is there in the in the um the Creole publication of the of the import export documents. So we will look at that material in due course. So it's evolving and moving as a work in each phase, you know. Um, it's curious to say that about the hoof because I couldn't stop and seeing it as a as a subsequent tribute to the notion of the virtuoso no? after doing the cast of Paolo Virna's hand. Yes. <laughs> um, here, here you have the cast of the of the hoof of the horse and uh, the hoof standing exactly because it's a moving it's a it's a, a, a movement an animal in, in motion mm -hmm. um, standing for what the horse does the best which is to walk and to, mm -hmm. to be a, a, a figure of transit, no? So I, mm -hmm. you thought about that, of course. Yes, uh, yes, it's been part of the kind of vocabulary of, I suppose, of a practice, and I had started that with the musician's finger hand in in, in Rome, and uh, for showing Rome, it started in Rome, but it is uh, for showing Basel, <laughs> the the hands of lift me up for I am dying, and and then this. Because the initial idea for that was to do Verno's hand, but he wasn't around, he wasn't present. So we, I did the musician's hand, which made sense at the time, and then finally got to do Verno's hand. Um, and, and although he's holding his hands still for the process of the moulding, of course, but when it comes out, it's hand in movement. You know, it's, it's gesture, it's almost like uh, growing. So this was very present, this sense of, um, you know, the... The hand or the hoof, and uh, and wanting to kind of keep that in, but it was very also became much more specifically as a fragment, in the sense of the of the question statue context. Um, so and to use uh, the bronze also then has that material kind of reference to that process. So I wanted it to be bronze. It doesn't work in any other medium, you know. Whereas the hand of Verna was plaster, you know, these kind of alabaster 
And I think I could still do that. You know, you could make that in marble or you could make to show the virtuosity of the carver, you know, that sort of thing. So you could, I would like to kind of explore those different materials. But this one, I think, had to be bronze. Um, But absolutely in transit, this is a moving fragment, you know. Um, Thinking about the, the central space of the exhibition, which connects the part <coughs> of um, Curioro with the transit of Hermes with the t- two videos. Um, something that, there are a couple of things that impressed me. One was exactly what, what you were talking about, the, the plasma screens that are low, so suddenly my body has also to bend and to change position in order for me to see them. Um, and that... Um, show these gestures of caring and of handling the the animals um, and they are silent from that moment there's no sound so there's a, a room is silent and but at the same time he's speaking so much and I wonder if you could speak about the constitution of the room mm-hmm. beyond sound also by having the blue and the red walls mm-hmm. and having these two uh, plasmas that have no noise but we can yes we can we can we can feel the noises associated with these gestures and yes. just the constitution of the room. Yes, yes. I mean, of course, the transit of Hermes film in the room with the bronze and the photograph is also silent. The only sound in the show is ahi mm. and, and the city fabric. Um, and I wanted that to permeate through in the way, like the straw, that sort of thing. So it follows you, you can still see the the face of ahi in the, uh, in the second room and this, I should have said also the the face of Ahi is like is the face to face encounter, which is Levinas's ultimate ethical condition situation. So, um, but the constitution of this room in terms of the low monitors um, and the coloured walls, we'd used the blue and the red for the posters of the uh, of the right and the Shifley Memorial Camp, which was part of it. Um, so I wanted to kind of bring these back in, but these are, it's a cobalt blue wall. Cobalt obviously being a mineral, but it's uh, extracted that you grind to make the pigment. Um, but horses also produce cobalt mineral uh, when they walk, when they exercise. So if you want to give a horse, a racehorse, an artificial advantage in a race, you inject it with cobalt. So there's a big scandal in the UK like a month or so ago. So this has this kind of bodily connection with the colour. So and also the tonality of the image on of the of when um when Jolt is saddling Hermes and so on as a not to ride but as a pack horse, neither Ahi nor Hermes are ridden, of course. Um the tonality of this early morning in Greece is, and it's also at the beginning of the rite, um, is the, uh, had this beautiful blueness to it, so it worked on its own, this one repeated image, five minutes or so, against the blue wall. And then the, <coughs> the other wall at the end of the, the series of photographs of through the countries, this red wall, the vermilion, the vermilion red wall, and uh, and the images there are of the repair of the continuous of the care of the horses, so like through the process and the end of the ride. But Vermilion is from cinnabar, and they crush cinnabar, and cinnabar is a container for the element of Mercury, and Mercury is the Roman god of the Greek god Hermes. So you have the horses and Hermes within the colours also. So, um, and then also the kind of tonality of the image, which is all silent, as you say, is, you know, um, Peter has a kind of red and red flex through his shirt. Uh, Paco is this sandy, dun colour. Cool is this beautiful russet kind of rust colour. Uh, deep, deep draw. So the tonality of this image is more suited to the red walls, I think. So um, to try and make a composition, and I used the blue and the red 
previously in the color compositions, the music color compositions of the Constella Basel rooms for the Nancaro Sky and Mural, uh, the works there, and they had done them also in Edinburgh, the Top of Rice Gallery. So color is also really kind of like the cast color and casting is kind of part of the vocabulary of the practice. So um, I wanted to introduce it in this context, not knowing, you know, it doesn't have an immediate r relation, but it started to have a much more, it became much more meaningful in its coordination with or its association or resonance with the works. So I had this um, desire to kind of in bring in colour because we'd used it in the poster and it seemed to work and the colours in the poster are slightly different. The colour in the poster are signal, signal blue and signal red. And the colours in the poster are signal blue and signal red because the riders do signal riding. They don't ride with a bit. So if you see people riding in, in Britain, they're riding with a bit normally. So and so you have the restriction of the analog jaws. Obviously, have the, the bit has worked because of the evolution of the jawline. There's the teeth structure that has this gap. So, and then they pull on the bit to, you know, to direct the animal. And they pull. No, they don't. This is not how they ride. They do signal riding, so it's only a halter, uh, nothing in the mouth, no restriction, and with your finger. The, the reins are slack in your hand and you can use to your finger, and you work and you communicate by sounds, so it's sounds and signals. So, so it's signal riding, and you, so you have to talk to the animal, you do not violate and force the animal. So this is, I thought, was an ethical position, and uh, which... Uh, um, I think was something that was interested in supporting and also they write according to the Charter of Reckon and the Charter of Reckon is that the animal, animal is your partner and companion which resonated with companion species from Haraway and also Haraway says that the, you know we are interpolated by the animal gaze so I, this is also in re relation to Ahi. So there was these correspondences that I thought was these were great people this was the project to do, and they could form a posse, they could form a team, sort of thing. So, um, uh, the, the the conversation with the riders and their approach started to really inflect the kind of aesthetic, if you like, to work with that. You know, so we also then have the horse trailer and the equestrian objects and this kind of sculptural assemblage of a ready-made, if you like. Um, so. Yeah, the, the, this was really grew out of the process, but there were certain things that were constant in my practice that I would like film, obviously, of course, or in video, that I was trying to uh, overlay. So it's not uh, it's not kind of documentation in a sense; it's a composition. So and this was the uh, mm. you know, so it has to come back to my responsibility now how to shape it and make it sort of thing. And this, in the same way that the transit of Hermes then is a different composition, you know, a silent split screen, yeah. three hours long, slow motion. So it has elements of Kyojo through it. But this is, so they, the ride, Hermes became increasingly, you know, the, the Hermes came about because the long riders who have their own horses would always work with a string horse in, in wherever they were from the uh, local breed, used to the terrain and so on. So to find this kind of similar breed to the Criojo is the Aravani in Greece. So the Aravani, is all, as I said, it's also in decline and the two remaining herds are in Greece and Germany. So this uh, Hermes is going between the two main herds. And um, so, uh, and then you have this situation where you've got the string horses, kind of the younger horses, and we, so we had to train him for a year, is servicing this ride. And I, th I thought, I don't, I, that looks hierarchical, it feels hierarchical, so you have these kind of riders from the north, because they're from Germany, Hungary, uh, well, uh, Tina is from uh, Argentina, of course, but lives in Germany, uh, and Switzerland, Peter, and the Greek horse, tags along and services them. So I thought, I don't like this hierarchical structure. And um, 
So the Hermes became increasingly to the foreground and became project in his own, in a sense. So he, the transit of Hermes was kind of living inside the Athens Castle ride. So it's like an artwork living inside another artwork. So it's like a parasite living inside it. But I was trying to, again, like a reference to Michel Serre and Hermes being a central figure in Michel Serre's philosophy because of his ambiguity and mercurial status. But I thought that so the transit of Hermes became the important, significant, uh, significant part of the project, but also became the title work for the exhibition. So that the ride was really servicing Hermes. So as inverting the kind of hierarchy, so this unridden ele horse was elevated. And, and so then when we film him, we film the moving image that appears in this exhibition <coughs> of the ride related is isolated Hermes. So, and the riders are the kind of marginal figures that we displace the ride to Hermes. And he's traveling in two directions simultaneously all the time, so he's flipped. And this sense of like, so it also becomes less about Athens and Castle. He begins nowhere and he ends nowhere, specific. He's just continuously in motion. But he's also doubled, and this is Andre Asiman uh, in the Letters of Transit the edited volume, which includes essays by Edward Said and so on, uh, has the status where the exile is always doubled. So this is this kind of reference or relationship to the notion of continuous exile or, you know, inhabiting two worlds at once. Hermes is the messenger between the living and the dead, between the gods and the, uh, the divine and the human. So he's inhabiting two worlds simultaneously. So this is a kind of reference. Um, yeah, it, I mean, the work, it's, it's curious because for me it's also... I, it also made me connect to, I mean, the whole inspiration of the beginning of the work with horses, with Chefferley's, um having this other book called The Tale of Two Horses. Mm, yes, that also was, yes. Which yes. is, uh, of course, is a pun on uh, Dickens' uh, yes. Tale of Two Cities. Yes. But it's also incredible that he decides to write a, a book from the point of view of Mancha y Gato, no? Yes, so, yes. Um, and uh, with the whole tradition of uh, expeditions and, and traveling uh, yes, travelogues yes. being written on the first person, and then and 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 this, you don't have a subjective camera, but nonetheless, what you see in the two screens is is the horse no? yeah. and these two horses that are one horse, no? yes. and it's the tail. So you're not seeing the trip, you're not seeing the landscape. You you almost never see people. Yes, yes. Um, and what you see is the tail, the tail of the horse that becomes two horses. No? Yeah. And um, <coughs> and there's something that it's it's a curious video because it you keep looking at it. You don't even know why. You just looking at it and that has and and I I do think one of the main reasons is because it has such a strong haptic quality you see the hair you see the stain mm. so important it seems like it doesn't seem like a horse it seems like a leopard or it has all these spots um and you can almost touch this horse mm -hmm. um and uh it yeah it's an incredible work and I was at a certain point, I almost had the desire that it would be larger, so that it would be, it would immerse myself even more yes, in the yes. body of the animal. And then I speculated maybe he wanted a one-to-one -one relationship with the with the scale of the body of the horse. Um, but I imagine that all these are all things that you thought about. <laughs> yes, I mean, I think in Amsterdam, there's a show in Amsterdam at the moment concurrent with this exhibition. In Amsterdam, it's, it's slightly larger. We have to feel our way to the, to the size that it should be. With Ahi, has been three or four different sizes. And so in Castle, we didn't have really the space I knew. You know, because I couldn't guarantee I would have a film. So he was filmed on the 20th of March and Athens opened on the 9th of April or whatever. And then I had to go back and uh, edit Ahi, edit Criojo for Castle. And I didn't, I couldn't guarantee I had a film. I didn't know. So we couldn't really command a large projection space. And, and I didn't, well, I didn't ever push it. 
and also it was in the it was in uh, the Elton Outpost. So it was in this large room with massive projections and sound coming everywhere. So I thought I'll contain it on a monitor, which is the same dimensions as the photographs, and then we'll we'll keep it this way. So you have to intimate. So, but the ambition for it was in a cinematic scale, which it has here much more. And in Amsterdam, the, the gallery is smaller space. So it is, again, it's like maybe uh, half the size again, but still uh, larger than life sort of thing. So this, this scale is important here and your relationship to that scale. So the photographs in, uh, in Castle were the horse's life size sort of thing. So it's really the face-to-face the -face encounter with the animal at a scale. And with uh, the transit of Hermes film, then I think we'll feel our way to the scale of it. And I think it could inhabit various scales and various dimensions. But within that room dimension, we thought we'll go, we'll go, it's quite a tight uh, space and an intimate space. and. But we didn't. We wanted to have some sort of sense of it being a separate space. So you have the photographs and the bronze. They obviously speak to the film, but they are still. Mm. And this was wanted to have some things. So we didn't want to intrude too far to give you this bridge. So in, and I think we found this sense with the, so the animal is approximately life size. Mm. You know, so you have a much more. Um, Modest. It's not because also he's not shot face on in the way that um, I'd maybe not to use that word because the, the word shoot. Yeah, that was the word that was banned from the filming. Was that we're not, we're not going to shoot the horse, okay? We're not shooting the horse, okay? Nobody say that word, you know, like Macbeth or something. So he's not, and he's so he's not really at the opening sequence. He is more or less face on, but the, but it's not. I mean, I was I was obviously. You know, like something like uh, uh, Bellator's, uh, you know, uh, Turin Horses, this amazing opening shot, like a helicopter shot or something like that, you know. And, um, and this is obviously iconic within the realms of cinematography and just like this. So he's not, this, we weren't working in that kind of way. I mean, it was present in the mind for, for, um, Kyojo, in terms of the reference to music and the horse and so on, it was this sort of trying to get something as equally captivating but in a different, a different way entirely, you know. Um, whereas so with the transit of Hermes, we're not filming his movement in that sort of same way. It's much more modestly approached. It's still it's it's on a it's on an Osmo, it's a DJI Osmo, you know. So truly really handheld again because he is. A younger horse, if you put a large camera, he will look away. So you have something that you can really veil and you can be with him and walking. And it's important that the, uh, the, you know, the camera is also walking at the pace of the horse and so on, but he's walking, not being ridden and so on. So, yeah, I mean, but also when you're editing that, I thought also of this maybe a possible layering of a soundtrack. It may evolve in such a way, but I think the silent becomes silence renders you much more, you know, it's much more absorbing as, as a silent film. Really. Silent and it, it adds to this abstract quality that it creates. Because at the same time as it's doubling the horse, as you were mentioning, it creates an infinite horse. Yes. Um, not only the horse, the rope. No. Yeah. The rope becomes one. It's like an yes. ouroboros. Yes. And uh, and I do think that the lack of sound enhances the the abstraction and almost hallucinatory capacity of of the of the work in itself. No, because you're in a, in another relation with another body that you don't know and and therefore the you could not have a sound that corresponds to the journey because mm -hmm. that would not be um, it's interesting you also see the haptic quality of it in that sense and the physicality of it because something that was it struck me was this relationship to when Susan Sontag says you need the neurotics of art not in aesthetics you know, in this sense, because at certain points when we close in in the body of Hermes, it becomes almost erotic. 
in this sense. So there is this sense of the desire for the animal and the, the surface of the skin in this sense. So um, th I think there is that level to it because it started to have its own you know, dynamic away from the notion that you move into a different kind of border threshold point. You're not talking about the, where the photograph is, the, the kind of political borders of movement. This becomes a different kind of encounter between different regions or, or worlds between the human and the animal. And this is, I think, it, it, the, the way that it's kind of edited together, I think it took on its own level. It didn't need to be like slips its anchor a little bit from the other room. So you have the sense of it going then back to the first room, where you also mm. have this kind of um, a texture of physicality to the cinematic kind of mm. uh, framing and audio, where it's completely silent. So it's a very different kind of. Um, visual experience but also one which is kind of like see kind of physical so and so the and the editing process through it it does when the body starts to move it it's just it, it's just a supple constant movement and it just becomes an erotic kind of uh, screen you know so it, and it's it, I mean, john berger and many others write about like why why are humans so interested in looking at animals what are we looking at and there is something on the texture, on the fur, on the skin of the animal that, mm -hmm. um, well, it has this haptic quality, you know, like, uh, that goes from children who like to touch soft mm -hmm. materials to a desire to just have a tactile relationship with a body that we don't know. And in this, in the screen, this body becomes it's not zoomed as if it's examined in the scientific manner. It's just exactly the moment that is fulfilling my my desire for encountering this surface and almost touching the surface with my eyes. No, no, no absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think that's because there is this obviously a kind of ambiguous relationship of looking at animals and, and being able to f and. and the encounter with them in the framing and, and so on is because I also, um, I'm not an equestrian, I'm not a horse person or anything, I don't know, horses and so on, I mean, for the project we did, of course. But, so I have a, a kind of, and my own name, Ross, means horse. <laughs> well, yeah. Mine as well. It's yes, isn't it? <laughs> Philippa. Like Philippa. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it's right. It's horse and horse. <laughs> a two horse race, you know, a uh, tale of two horses. <laughs> Um, which reminds me uh, to remind me to return to Shifley, of course. Um, but I had the fear of horses, really. You have a kind of, I have a, I'm not that confident around them, and they, they can tell, you know. So, in this sense, they read you. You know, you're trying to read it. You're trying to read the animal, and but it's reading you, and so you become scripted in a sense through it. And this uh, the gaze, and and they will also move differently around you, so um, you're really kind of cast and vulnerable. You become vulnerable in relationship to the animal um, rather than mastery, it's vulnerability. So I think, I, I hope to preserve some of that aspect of the vulnerability of the, of the person who is in the, then sitting watching it in a sense. So there's a sense of something is at stake in your own bodily presence. It's not about confidence or mastery. You're not above the animal. You're always slightly kind of below it or parallel. Um, but um, the tale of two horses and, and that sense of then the shifting the the voice with the voice. Go back to what you were saying earlier and and of about um, uh, choreography. The voice being given to the animal differently and. But it reminds me actually that something maybe I haven't said is that Shifley's ride, really this, bio, this autobiographical account of the you know, 10, 12, 15,000, depending on which uh, version you read, the uh, Mile Journey from Buenos Aires to New York, it was uh, published in 1933. And it was also something, so when I found this book in a second-hand bookshop, I've, I was searching for it because I had re read uh, an essay on it 
on the right by Cunningham Graham, R.B. Cunningham Graham, who was a Scottish author and politician that I was researching, who died in Buenos Aires in 1936. And his funeral procession in Buenos Aires was led by these two horses, Mancha y Gato, and uh, by his friend, Amy Felix Shifley. And this, uh, I thought, oh, this is something going on here. And then I read, about, read his essay on Shifley's Ride, and I thought, this is, OK, this is the story. And then I got the volume and noticed that it was published in '33, And it's dedicated to uh, friends of whatever race, nationality or creed who helped make rough spaces smooth. So they had this sense, OK, this, this book about this migration, heroic, on these horses which were, weren't classified as horses, that were peasant horses, is in, in South America, North America, while Europe is descending into a biopolitics of racial purity and hatred and, uh, and, uh, and uh, of fascism. And you have this dedicated to the whatever uh, race, nationality or creed. And the word whatever, of course, is the community of a Gambon's coming community, the whatever community. So whatever also can mean across species. So the community, the coming community, the community to come is a whatever community and we have no purpose in our collectivity and our multitude coalescing and uh, congealing and, and then expanding and moving in constant motion of this rather than solidified ideologies. So this, just the dedication, you know, um, was I thought, okay, this is resonates through to the encroaching return to a biopolitics of fascism. In, in Europe and also then America at the same time. Uh, but uh, Shifley talks about the animals as partners and pals, friends. They're his companions, his partners and pals. So, and this sense of the companion animal and the coexistence of animals and the co-presence and so on, and this uh, then was a, kind, a sense of the the re resonance of the dedication to something like a gambon and then the, his reference to the, the horses as friends with the reference to Haraway, I thought, OK, this is a way that I can maybe sort of make work in response to this historical event, but also to a contemporary critical theoretical condition if it were challenged in a post-humanist condition and the, and the rise of animals, studies and interest and so on, recent, of course, that you mentioned earlier in the talk, and I was researching, obviously, with colleagues and, and peers. Um, I thought this work would be a way to try and to kind of um, respond to that and those conditions. So, um, but not in a way that you make, like, a documentary about migration or a documentary about refugees, being restricted and constricted, the the location, the bilocation of Athens and Castle, already articulated that condition of the tens the tensile architecture of Europe, the two different directions in which it was being pulled, but also the route of arrival and 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 destination. So, but rather than make a, you know. Um, because I was already also doing a project with the Surrey Next Park Philharmonic Orchestra where we had brought refugees from across Europe to make a performance. So I was already making a work which reflected the, um, you know, not the, not the migrant or the, or the refugee as refugee and migrant, but as professional musician, as professional worker, you know, so that, uh, uh, to take, so the agency is their own, it's just what they do sort of thing rather uh, and. So um, that I didn't want to make a documentary about that set of conditions. I wanted to make a project which that had re related to it, but had its own ex you know, different existence. But all the writers also were also very sympathetic and empathetic and recognised that they, their wish for the freedom to ride across borders with their animals had also a parallel with the the, close, the, the closing of the borders, which was happening increasingly as we were developing the project. I mean, the ride began on the 9th of April, 
10 days after Theresa May signed Article 55, you know, to withdraw British Britain's membership of the, you know, the, the European Union. And we had the referendum, obviously, six months before that. So we had, while we were developing this project, all of this was happening around us, you know, and Trump was getting power. So the project, which may be looked anachronistic, riding on horseback through Europe, making a film about horses and from the 1920s, a project which on the surface looked anachronistic in the epoch of the ride, the, the driverless car, I have a riderless horse, you know? So um, it became increasingly contemporary in the way that maybe a gambon says, what is the contemporary? Well, you to, to, be able to arrive at the contemporary, you have to take an oblique, anachronistic uh, perspective. This is the only, this is the contemporary.